Eight long nights, the prisoner lay in his cell between two fires. He had been imprisoned by his former foster child, King Gareth. His wife had warned him of Gareth's true character, but alas, he didn't listen. Once again, his wife proved her wisdom. He laughed at the thought of his wife's smirk the next time he saw her. However, it had been eight long nights, and who knew when next time would be. Until just then, the king's son, Agnar, appeared. The boy thought poorly of his father's behavior and gave the prisoner a horn of mead. The prisoner drank deeply. Then he spoke. I will tell you this, Agnar Garethson, if you will listen. No man will ever be repaid as much for a simple drink, for you alone have proven your worthiness of such a gift. I can tell you this, Agnar Garethson, if you will listen. Of all the gods, the rivers, the dwarfs, all lands, rivers, and halls, I can tell you of all the creatures in the cosmos, our world tree, Yggdrasil, and the corpse of the giant Ymir. I can tell you of the beginning of everything, and then the beginning of our end. I have given you this, Agnar Garrison, if you will have it. Your kingdom, may you cherish it, lead it, may your enemies remember it with fear. I have traveled to every realm known and unknown to the gods. I have spoken to every creature, every giant, every troll. I have sang notes of every octave. I have killed more than any number any man can imagine. I have seen the future, my fate, my death, and the death of all my kin. Thor by the serpent's venom. Balder by his brother Hod, who was then killed by his brother. Then Sigi by his wife's brother. Vali and Vidar will die by old age alone in their halls in the ashes of what is left after the end. Across the fabric of time, I have seen more with one eye than any man would ever see with 50. I have been known by more names than even Kvasir could conceive. They have called me Grim. They have called me Wanderer, Warrior, Helmet Wearer, Famed One, and Third. They have called me Thunder, Wave, Hellblind and One-Eyed, Truth and Swift, Warmonger and Curse Eye, Fire Eye and Evildoer. They called me Wise, Rune Master, Hanged God, Blood Brother, and Mead Drinker. They called me Wednesday, Longbeard, War Ready, Our Father. They've called me Rope Rider, Rainer of Sleipnir, and Ferryman. I have never been known solely by one name. Gunlod's Bane, Scythe Wielder, Shield Shaker, Harbard, and Sibyl's Fool. All of these names have been used for me alone. The Saxons call me Woden, the Germans Wotan, and to others, Wotanaz, Godin, and Weda. Odin is my name, and to you, Garadur Hrogdonsen. You have been stripped of any good favor the Valkyries may have perceived. You have lost my favor and the favor of all the Einar Har who spit on your ambition. You shall never be seated in the highest of halls, nor will Surtur ever see your blade unsheathed. I curse you, Geradar Hrognitsen. Approach me, you will try, and fall on your sword you shall. At that moment, King Gareth knew of his fate. What at first was surely a fate destined for Valhalla was now fated to be far worse than death itself. Although he knew of his cosmic mistake, he drew his sword in the hopes Odin would favor his bravery in attacking the very god he imprisoned. However, the Norns saw it differently. King Gareth dropped his sword and fell on it, and his son Agnar had taken up Odin's offer, and the kingdom was now his. You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, David. How are you? I'm good, Sean. How have you been? I've been, I've been fantastic. We, well, I was doing fantastic last week until we had a fuck up last week, which I know you want to you wanna say something about, right? No, that was definitely, definitely on me. That's what happens when you record your audio and you don't record your co-host's audio is uh, you get a one-sided podcast but uh i was trying to i was trying to get fancy with some high definition uh, recording software you gotta 
Definitely. I know we, we just wanted to apologize to all that we're looking forward to Grimness Small Part 2 last week. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties, so we put in like a filler episode, and then uh, we're going to be doing Grimness Small Part 2 tonight. Hopefully you enjoyed Sean's uh, little historical short, short episode. We're going to try doing some more of these little shorts, and uh, I think it looked like the episode was pretty pretty popular, so yeah, I think that's maybe something people want to hear more about. Yeah. Well, I do think 80% of our listeners are in the United States, and I think our attention spans are just naturally not as big and not like not as vast, I guess I should say. So I think if, if they want to like listen to a 20 minute episode, it's going to be more, the average consumption of the episode itself is going to be a little bit higher. So I think that's something that for us to experiment with moving forward. I know you have some uh, shorts in mind and I know we're still going to do these episodes, um, you know, especially as a part of like season two and everything, but we might start having like episodes with guests, but also, you know, episodes that are just shorts that feature David and or myself. We're going to try some different things. Yeah. So let us know what you think, but our plan is to come back season two. We're trying some different things before then, but then in July, we'll be back with our usual type of episode style. Yeah. But in any case, Sean, let's, let's jump into it. First, real quick, the drink of the week is from Sloop Brewing Company. It's in downstate New York, a little bit north of New York City. And I am drinking there, if you like, Pina Colada's New England IPA. It's got nothing to do with the Pina Colada flavor, though? Pineapple juice and toasted coconuts, so probably. It does. It does have, okay. You don't taste it too much. It's pretty good. But Toasted coconut. I kind of want to try that. Yeah. I'm curious what that is. (laughs) They're uh, at the Whole Foods in Alexandria, Virginia. So, so we can go ahead and get started. So this week, we're going to continue the discussion of the poem Grimness Mall, which is found in the Poetic Edda. In last week's or two weeks ago episode, we primarily discussed the prose introduction, which saw Odin and Frigg involving themselves in the affairs of mortals, uh, each one of them fostering one of the sons of a king. Odin's foster child, whose name is Gareth, inherits the kingdom after exiling his brother at Odin's suggestion Years later, had a man named Grimnir imprisoned, who, funny enough, was actually Odin in disguise. Gareth's son, Agnar, took pity on Odin and gave him a drink while Odin was imprisoned for eight days between two fires. The poem then starts with Odin's response to the drink, where he claims that nobody would ever be repaid better for one drink. Then he begins to spout cosmic lore. Last week, we discussed the first 20 stanzas of Odin speaking and spouting this cosmic lore. Keep in mind, he most likely used this opportunity after he received his drink as a lead up for the final part of the poem where he reveals who he is, sort of like, I know all this shit because I'm actually Odin type of thing. But the listener gets to world build a little bit, if that makes sense. Those things, I wonder if there's, actually, do you know, is there any place that's like a good source of somebody reading these poems in a very like dramatic fashion? That would be... A cool thing to find out about. I'm gonna have to look into it because I can just see that you know he's building up and building up all these things, and you're supposed to be intimidated. How would he know this? Who is this person that knows all of the halls of the gods and the the nature, the structure of the cosmos, right? But uh, yeah, as we're talking about, it, it's not quite as imposing. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I don't think we're imposing anybody. But so with the first 20 stanzas of Grimness Mall, the main takeaways are the things that I find the most interesting. We learn that Freya takes half of the slain to her lair in Folkvang. The other half goes to Odin in Valhalla. So I know Valhalla is well known by the average lay person who knows a little bit about Norse mythology, but Freya, the Vanir goddess, actually takes half of the slain to Folkvang. So I think we made a joke about this on the uh, on the first recording, but we were comparing how Folkvang might actually be a funner place than Valhalla because Freya might be more astute with magic or more familiar with magic. And that makes may make for fun parties. Freya's place might just be a a lot nicer, right? That uh, Odin's place, that's that's the neat thing I didn't know about Valhalla. It's entirely made out of spears and shields and everything's covered. All the the couches are covered in chain mail. Sounds like a big big sausage fest. It's it's probably sticky. It's got a lot of beer everywhere. So like it probably smells like beer and the beer, the dried beer is just like all over the place. And maybe Folkvang is, you know, got more, it's more elegant. It's got wine and grapes and things like that. So who who knows? So we also learned that Hugin and Munin, who are Odin's ravens, you know, we, we, we know that they fly away every day, get information, they come back and they bring it to Odin. We find out in this stanza that Odin fears the loss of memory as opposed to thought. Another one, Odin appears to have had a love long ago with a woman named Saga, who we believe is probably Frigg, his current wife. Odin goes over some of the halls of the gods, which I believe he continues here um, with stanza 21+. plus. He has two tamed wolves, Gary and Freki, and he only consumes wine. We may have made jokes uh, previously, David, where 
Odin receives all of his visions from intermittent fasting. Maybe he also just drinks wine. As source of his to, power is yeah, not not eating and drinking too much wine. That it's going to give you some visions. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and so those are the main takeaways from stanza one through twenty. So we're going to go ahead and go through stanzas twenty one through fifty four, which wraps up the poem. And we can just take this, I guess, one at a time. David, did you want to take it away? So in the in stanza twenty one, it talks about how Jormungan makes his home in Fenrir's sea. And it's a sea that dead men cannot cross. And we we're talking about how there's the different translations that all reads differently. So this, I wanted to read this stanza out loud. Thrund roars, the great wolf's fish swims happily in the stream. The river's current seems too strong for the slaughter horse to wade. So that I think it, you're looking at a uh, Jackson Crawford's, does he talk about the slaughter horse or does he just talk about the, uh, the sea? So Jackson Crawford says the waves thunder and the Midgard serpents makes his home in Fenrir's sea. Dead men will find the sea, that sea passage, too wide to wade. Yeah, so the, the, the translations really make a difference. And so there's this word, it's a flaglummer. Yeah. They translate as the slaughter horse. That idea that the slaughter horse is maybe the horse that brings people to Valhalla, but that's a word that's like not translated yeah. very often. And then this other one, you were saying, it starts with that word thunder. But I was looking up a bit that that word, oh, we'll, we'll come back. I think we'll come to that later about what thrund means, right? Yeah. Isn't that a, the thrud is Thor's daughter as well. So it's, it's similar to thrund. Yeah. Thrud means might. Yeah. Gotcha. But, uh, but that the word thrund might mean Thor's battle. So they say there, there's a, there's a name that's Thor gunner means Thor's battle. And that maybe thrund is a shortened version of Thor gunner basically. So that your mungan is Thor's battle. Right. That's maybe what that actually means rather than thunder is roaring. Rather, yeah. the, serp- the serpent that Thor will battle is- goes back to all these kennings, right? Yeah. Well, I was um, going to say, thank, like, you know, it's luckily we have the internet, right? So we, yeah. we know when these kennings make sense, or we know what these kennings mean because Thrund Wars would mean absolutely nothing to me. So, yeah. Well, then even Jackson Crawford thinks it means thunder roars, right? But then Carolyn Larrington thinks maybe it's this word thrund means Thor's battle, that it's just a kenning for your Mungund. And then they say the great wolf's fish. The word for that is Theodvitnir, the great wolf or the famous wolf. And I'll come back to that one later. These words about the idea of wolves keeps coming up. And uh, we assume that means Jormungand, but then who is the great wolf? Is that Fenrir or is that Jormungand's parent? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm never going to use you saying uh, Jormungand as opposed to Jormungander. Yeah. I guess <laughs> uh, you said that it. was from a Wagner's opera. No, I think it's old German, but it's what I'm used to from uh, playing the God of Thunder game on Microsoft DOS. Fantastic. I thought you were going like back to like Wagner's opera, but I guess it's just a video game, but awesome. So stanza 22, we learn that Valgrind is a holy gate and few know how it is locked. And I believe this is supposedly the gate of Valhalla. I'm trying not to go too far off topic, but it's just the things I make connections to as I'm reading different things. There's something I read the same week as I'm reading this myth. In the Greeks, that um, Hecate is a female goddess of the underworld that holds the keys that unlock the gates between the realms. So that there's this like metaphor of the keys that the lock really matters. And uh, yeah, who knows how it's locked? Oh, the, the way it was is that the Hecate reminds me of that Cirrus that's in Volspa, if you know a bit about the Greek kind of uh, goddesses as well. So, yeah. oh, very cool. Um, so, to stand 23, we learn that Thor's Hall is Bill Schemer. And it has 640 rooms. It is the largest house. So I know in previous episodes, we've discussed how Thor lives in Thrudheim. And right now it says that his hall is Bilskimir. So my understanding is that Thrudheim is his land. By the way, there's that name Thrud again. <laughs> but his hall might be Bilskimir. And the, uh, from John Lindau, looking up that word uh, Bilskimir, it may mean illuminated or suddenly illuminated, kind of like a lightning flashing. Nice. And then this uh, is a sort of similar. In Santa 24, Odin thinks that Valhalla has 640 doors. 800 Einjarhar will walk through when they need to fight Fenrir, which it would be Ragnarok. I wonder if there is any significance to the number 640, because I know in this podcast, we have talked about nine. We've talked about three, four, 16 at one point, and eight. So I didn't know if 640 has any connection to those numbers outside of being like, you know, an even number in some cases. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a number that shows up twice. So it's a very kind of like unique number. But then in different translations, sometimes it's 640 and sometimes it's 540. And that was one again that Carolyn Larrington says that the word they use for 500 is actually a word for a long hundred. 
which I don't know what that means, but apparently a long hundred is 120 of something where a regular hundred is just a hundred. So whether you want to say that, that you want to say it as 500, five long hundreds, or do you want to say 600? That's uh, like saying a baker's dozen. Or, uh, so in f- if 540 is a long hundred, you mean it's taking like 120 of something, but reducing it to 100 or? There are 640 doors, but when you say it, you can say there's five long hundreds and 40. Oh, There's 120 times five to 600. Okay. Let's uh, just I don't, know let, why they, I don't know why they do that to us, but they do. Yeah. We'll pretend they're 640 to make a connection to uh, Thor's Hall, Bill Skinner having 600 rooms. Yeah. So Sansa 25. There's a goat named Heathrun that gnaws on the tree Lareth. This goat fills Valhalla, Valhalla's cups with mead from her udders. So I made a joke here, like not goat milk but goat mead. So this is for the healthy alcoholics. Yeah. Sounds tasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a goat and that's how I guess the Einarhar get their, uh, get their fill in with alcohol. There's also a stag named Ike Thierner that also gnaws on Larith drops fall on from his horns into the well of Fjörgomir, which is the origin of all rivers. And it took me three ch- tries to say that. So we'll probably just cut out the first two. I am under my understanding here is that Larith which is also mentioned in Gilfaganin in the Prosetta, is probably the same tree as Yggdrasil, or it might just be like the top portion or something where Asgard in Valhalla would be, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's what I think I was noting last time, that there's there's a few different trees, right? Because there's supposed to be a tree with golden apples that help to keep them youthful, right? But that's Yeah, that's the dude's tree. tree. Let's see, I'll talk about this one. So there's sure. stanza 27, that there's a list of rivers and they go on for a while about all these different rivers but in the first section they say it's the rivers that conceal the riches of the gods i was telling sean that that's the one that really does remind me from wagner's opera that there's this albrecht is the dark elf who finds gold in a river and the gold is being protected by these river nymphs and he steals their gold but then he creates a cursed ring and is the basis you know i think even uh token admits it's the inspiration for lord of the rings and that the one ring that's kind of the, the cursed ring, mm-hmm. but also a ring of power. And an interesting thing here in this stanza 27 is it says the river Gamal flows round God's treasure hoard. And that Gamal is actually a rearranging of Gollum, who is the, uh, the character who finds the ring and then it becomes his precious. So clearly that's just a, a little, a little Easter egg that a uh, token wanted you to find there. I think. Yeah. No. And I see it on uh, Crawford's version as well. He mentions Golmil and Gervomil. So I think it's very interesting. Stanza 28 is a list of rivers' names that lead to the men who die and go to hell. I like Stanza 29 as well, because it mentions that Thor wades four rivers every day when he goes to meetings at the tree Yggdrasil. Bifrost, bridge of the gods, burns in bright flame, and the holy, holy waters seethe. So I wanted to make another joke here, because this is another story that mentions Thor crossing a body of water. And this time he doesn't fear his prick getting wet. He's able to cross it and he needs to cross it for, he needs to cross four different rivers every day. So this is another story that maybe talks a little bit about Thor's growth. He figures it out eventually, right? Yeah. That Odin had to teach him something, something not teach to be him afraid how to of. Swim. Yeah. yeah. He, and he figures it out. Yeah. So that's good for Thor. So stanza 30 is the names of different horses that the gods ride when they go to meet at Yggdrasil. Stanza 31 mentions the three roots of Yggdrasil, and this is pretty interesting because it mentions that below the three roots are Midgard, Hell, and Jotunheim. So we actually mentioned this on the episode where we discussed the nine worlds, and we used we, we actually quoted that stanza in doing so because if you look at any, if you go online and like look at any map of the Norse universe or like the Norse cosmos, you will typically see Midgard in the middle. You might see Jotunheim to the east of it or something like that. And then below the roots, you might see like hell or the land of the dwarves or something. But of course, there's no correct answer on where everything is. But at least in this source, it mentions that Midgard, hell, and Jotunheim are below the three branches. And, or the three roots even, right? And that's where it seems like, you know, the hell is lower, but then Midgard and Jotunheim are supposed to be kind of in the middle. So it's like the roots are coming out the middle of the tree, stretching out to the sides. But yeah, this Grimness Mall is one of the best places for trying to make sense of some of the geography of Norse mythology and the, yeah. the universe, all the, uh, all the realms, but there's no, you can try to draw a picture, but it has all these rivers and you're trying to figure out what overlaps with what, you know, the rivers flow down into hell, things like that. And so it's, it's messy. Yeah. A little bit. So stanza 32 
Ratatosk is the squirrel that runs up and down the trunk of Yggdrasil. He takes the words and insults from the eagle and the branches to Nidhogg, the dragon below. So we have like a little trouble troublemaker here, I'd say. And I do have to make a make a note for us to do another uh, do a fan fiction on what are what are the insults that Ratatusk is uh, sending back and forth between the, the eagle and the serpent. Yeah. Yeah. Or if the fans have any ideas, we'd we'd appreciate them. Yeah. yeah or we can go to a dungeon AI or AI dungeon and just like say yeah. what did the squirrel say to the dragon and just see what it says. Mm-hmm. So stanza thirty three: Four deer stretch out their necks and eat the leaves of Yggdrasil. The deer names are Dane, Dvalin, Dunier, and Durathor. And that's one of those, in, in some of the older versions, the old translations, they use the word heart, that a, a heart is a name for a deer, or especially a buck. And I never knew that before I read Norse mythology. It's like the archaic word for just a deer. But I was trying to understand why are there these hearts that are eating leaves off a tree? It sounded quite gruesome. But Laurentian's translation has heart as opposed to deer? Especially all the older, yeah, the, all the older translations, like things from 1930s, things from the 1800s. They use that oh, very word. Cool. Heart, yeah. Nice. As you learn when you read Norse mythology. Stanza 34 is a list of serpents underneath Yggdrasil that gnaw on the tree's roots. Stanza 35 mentions that Yggdrasil endures pain due to the deer, the serpents, and also by rots. So you see Yggdrasil like getting eaten by different animals or gnawed on by different animals, but also it's a tree. It's technically a living thing, so it is also maybe dying. And you know, that, that's the thing that's it's not mentioned in Grimness Mall, but in... Um... We talked about it in one of our early earlier episodes that there's the four roots, or sorry, the three roots of the tree all lead to, you know, you said there's one in Jotunheim, one in Midgard, and one in Hell, right? And yeah. that they all land, the, the root lands in one of the wells where the Norns are, these sort of wells of fate, that the Norns are there trying to keep the tree alive. They're putting this mud paint on the roots, trying to keep the rot and I guess the serpents from eating it, right? It's not mentioned, you know, they don't bring up the Norns in this poem, but I imagine the readers, anybody listening to this poem would probably know this would somehow be involved. You know, the roots of Yggdrasil have something to do with the, the Norns and fate. Yeah, definitely. And don't they, I think, paint like the, the bark white or something like that. And yeah. like, I think we may have discussed it. It might be like a spell or it could be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that was the thing apparently historically is you'd either paint it with, uh, with, with paint or with white mud to kind of just keep the, the tree um, from getting affected by things. Like you get beetles and stuff trying to get into the bark. But whether that's also, yeah, a, a magical spell that goes with, with that. So stanza 36 is a list of names of Valkyries who bring Odin and the Einarhar beer. And this is one where, yeah, I'm really glad that we each look at a different translation because in Larrington's, she gives the line, rather than saying that, you know, these are the Valkyries and they're the ones who serve beer, that Odin's saying very specifically, he says, uh, Hrist and Mist, I wish would bring a horn to me. And then he names the names of all the other Valkyries. You know, as, as we think about this context that he's sitting there between two fires and he's like, would someone bring me a drink already? Right. That's a very funny way to read it. So I'm hoping that's. He just breaks character. Like uh, he stops spouting lore and he's like, I need a fucking drink. <laughs> yeah. Where well, yeah, are my even if He's like not, not even acknowledging, right. He's just going through all this lore and he's like, and these are the ones and I wish they'd bring a drink to me. And he just keeps going and no one's paying attention because they're so busy, you know, with his impressive lore spouting to realize that he snuck this in there. Like someone bring yeah. me a drink. I mean, it makes sense. That's actually kind of in my head canon now. Like that's him calling out to the Valkyries who maybe like help set him loose anyway. Yeah. The one, no. the Valkyries who always bring me a drink whenever I need one. Like, <laughs> it, obviously the first drink he got from uh, Agnar is yeah. giving him the strength to do something. So maybe the, maybe he operates on beer or Agnar meat or the message. <laughs> maybe they're giving yeah. him wine. So who knows? <laughs> so stanza 37, you find out that two horses lead the sun across the sky. Their names are Arvak and Alsvith. Stanza 38, there is a shield named Svall, which lies between the sun and Midgard and appears to protect Midgard from the heat. And this is reminding me of that Simpsons episode, I think, where Mr. Burns tried to like blot out the sun. Yeah. Uh, so Springfield couldn't get their, their light. But in this case, you, it sounds like you can see through it, but maybe like somebody has like a switch or something to, to become Mr. Burns. Yeah, you're going to have to have to pay if you wanted to get the sunlight to come back. I think that was the plot of The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That was actually the plot of uh, one of the uh, Elder Scrolls Five DLCs. Not that Mr. Burns was like charging money, but like there was like this vampire that wanted to like blot out the sun. Like out the sun because so, then the yeah, vampires can roam free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's some, a little I, different. Yeah, no, I made the connection before though that uh, the dark elves or the dwarves, right? They, they, they turned to stone in the sunlight that there's some maybe connection there with them and vampires. So that's another one of my theories I need to explore. 
Uh, so Sansa 39, you learn that two wolves run also run between the sun and the moon, chasing them. And their names, the other names are Skull and Hati or Hati. And so let me go down. This is where this is another one of those ones where you you read about all the footnotes and all the different ways it could be translated. And uh, I just start kind of going for it. It pulls me in. Yeah, definitely. Because they kept bringing up this reference to wolves, right? So that they're saying here that there's Skull, a wolf is called, who pursues the shining goddess to the protecting woods. And another is Hati. He is Haradvitnir's son, who must run before heaven's bright bride. So what they're describing here is that there's the sun going across the sky and then the moon coming across the sky, but there's a wolf chasing each one. And so they use this word again, that Haradvitnir, basically the great wolf. And it reminded me of that word we saw earlier that was Theodvitnir's fish, which also means yeah. kind of the, the famous wolf is kind of similar to the great wolf. And whether that's Theodvitnir's fish, right? That sounds like Loki's child, Jormungand. They say that Haradvitnir is Fenrir. So they talk about this, the other wolf, Hati, is the son of Haradvitnir. So mostly they say that that's probably the son of Fenrir, that those words are slightly different, Theod and Harad. Do they refer to the same individual or two different ones? Like Loki is, what makes me think Loki is kind of the great wolf and his child is the the other great wolf. Yeah. <laughs> the, Loki is the greatest of wolves. The reason why that makes sense to me besides just, I mean, I think that's what it's saying in that line about Jormungan, but it's that, you know, the wolf kind of being a good metaphor for the trickster. So or as the archetype, right? Because in Native American myths, it's the coyote who's the trickster. In the Greek and Aesop's fables, it's a fox who's the trickster, right? So is the wolf kind of the trickster referring to Loki a lot of times when you hear about a wolf in these myths? So uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on that before I go in a little further? If Hrottenvitnir is Fenrir, you know that Loki is Fenrir's father, right? Yeah. And Loki is a trickster. Fenrir is one of the beings, the sons of Loki, or the children of Loki that bring on Ragnarok. It would kind of make sense that Fenrir's son, or like pups, Skull and Hati, would be also yeah. causing mischief as well, like chasing the sun and the moon across the sky. Yeah. Also, if you look at Gary and Freki, Odin's wolves, Odin goes out of his way to mention that they are tamed. Yeah, so maybe right. they were tricksters, but Odin like kept him in line or something and like that. Odin kind of, you know, and I think as I talked about these different, there's like the archetypes and sometimes there's the shadow to the archetype, right? That Odin being the magician, his shadow would be the trickster, right? So that Odin kind of has hopefully tamed the trickster in himself would be a way to think about, you know, Odin as he develops, right? In some parts, it seems like Odin very much is the trickster, right? When he's playing tricks on Thor, when he's in disguise doing these different things, right? It's interesting because, so Skull, they don't clarify whether Skull comes from Haradvitnir, but Hati does. And it depends on the translations. So in, in John Lindau's version, they say, Skull is the name of a wolf who accompanies the Shining God as a defense of the forest. Assuming the Shining God is either the moon or the sun, because in some versions of Norse mythology, the moon is masculine and the sun is feminine. In Greek mythology, it's the opposite, that the, the sun is masculine, the moon is feminine. In Larrington's version, though, it says that Skull is a, a wolf who pursues the shining goddess to the protecting woods. So is Skull the, a tamed wolf that's accompanying the sun or the moon, or is it chasing them and they have to flee into the protecting woods, right? Apparently, you can take the Old Norse, and even being an expert in translating Old, old Norse, it can be interpreted two different ways like that, right? Either it's their ally who accompanies them, and they protect the forest together, or it's chasing them and they have to flee to the protection of the woods. Yeah. And in, in Crawford's translation, that first part of the stanza says, skull is the name of the wolf who chases the sun till it sets at evening in the woods. But those are probably the more accurate ones. I think John Lindau was probably looking at an old version because he's more of just compiling all this information. I don't think he was actually translating. You know, they talk about the shining gods or the shining goddess, whether that is the moon or the sun. I think you have to look at other sources to get more clarification. I think a few different scholars kind of talk about that Ragnarok might just be a Christian invention by Snorri. The wolf is involved, right? And then the world ends, but then there's, it's kind of like, uh, what's the end of the Bible, Sean? I don't know. Like I really should. Revelations. Yes. The that book of Revelations. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Some, some people would think that Ragnarok is kind of like them taking the book of Revelations and mapping it on to Norse mythology. Like Christian influence or something, you know? Right. But then I think this, you know, it's an idea that I've liked before that Ragnarok if it's like the way the Greek pagans saw it, it's that the universe is created and then destroyed, and then it's created again and destroyed. It's this cycle. And that we see the wolves here are chasing the moon and chasing the sun, and they perpetuate the cycle right, of destruction and rebirth. Right, Every night, the sun is destroyed, and every morning, the sun comes back up. 
to me that these poems are a little older maybe than some of the Christian influence uh, put pieces together. Yeah, yeah of course. Well, I mean, in, like in uh, Voluspa, it does mention like a rebirth after Ragnarok, which we also know that Voluspa was at least written down in the sources that we have from Christians as well. So mm-hmm. it's very hard to say like what was supposed to be there, what was like not supposed to be there, if that makes sense, when it was initially written. Yeah, so it makes sense that everything is very complicated and like hard to understand with the different translations, especially. But no, that's, that's my deep dive on wolves, uh, Sean. So let's come back to... So stanza 40 and 41 talk about the corpse of Ymir. Um, it mentions that everything was formed from the corpse of Ymir. It mentions how the wall of Midgard was formed from Ymir's eyelashes and the clouds were formed from his brain, among other things. Listening to the, the Nordic Mythology podcast with uh, Matthias Nordvig and Daniel... And on one of the episodes just recently about, I think it was about Volspa, they were, Matthias was kind of making fun of this idea that Ymir's body is chopped up and made into all the parts of the, the universe. As it, you know, he was describing it as it's kind of a weird thing for Snorri to make up, but it's not just in the prose Edda, it's here in this, you know, Grimness Mall in the Poetic Edda. And so I kind of, I would want to ask Matthias that, uh, what his, what he meant by that is. Uh, yeah. I'm just, because to me, it's a thing that shows up in a lot of, you know, a lot of the world mythologies and some of the you know, oldest mythologies is that the older generation, whether they were gods or whether they were Titans that came before the gods, that their bodies are chopped up and turned into things. So I think that's like, to me, that's fitting. But, uh, well, yeah. And I, I think I know the episode you're talking about, they, they discussed the creation myth and they talked about like Gilfogany, but they also brought in like elements from like Bolaspa and some of the poems from the poetic Edda. But they, they, it's very interesting when you think about just like the differences between the prosed and the poetic Edda in general. Yeah. There's going to be I some like, conflict- conflictions there, but there's also conflictions within the different poems of the Poetic Edda or the different stories of the Prose Edda. So. Yeah. I, I, I laughed because the title of that episode was something like for entertainment purposes only, because that's something Snorri says is, you know, none of this mythology is real. It's just for entertainment. I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah. Don't get mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, John. So this one is another one. The ones I enjoy the most are the ones that Carolyn Larrington says, no one knows what this stanza means, right? Even when you interpret it, you know, try to translate it as best as you can. It's a strange construction of the sentence. So it goes, Uller's protection and that of all the gods is he has the first one to seize the flames for the worlds lie open over the sons of gods when the kettles are lifted off. The first thing to think of is, you know, it says something about the, the first one to seize the flames that Odin is sitting here surrounded by flames. Maybe it has something to do with that, right? The the end of it where it's saying the the kettles, is that about maybe something like a magic potion? Is it about brewing beer? They make a big deal about the names of the, the kettles for brewing beer or mead. But this is my thought, and it especially ties into what the next stanza is, that maybe that idea of what is the protection of the gods, right? What is something to do with seizing the flames? It makes me think of smithing or forging. Previously, it talked about that Thor's hammer is the protection of the gods, that that is the one thing that saves them from the giants. Otherwise, they'd be overrun by the giants if they weren't afraid of Thor and his hammer. So that fits. And then also the next stanza is talking about uh, Skithblethnir, the ship of Frey. So that they're talking about the gifts that the dwarves gave to Frey, that he gets a boat. So that the previous stanza might be about Thor getting his gift from the dwarves, which was the hammer. So that's my guess. That's, that talking about who seizes the flames is maybe something like a smithing, a hammer. I'm trying to unpack it myself, to be honest. Yeah. Like you mentioned, so Ull's protection would be just like the idea of smithing, like in a canning. And that's, it's always confusing who Ull is, right? I think in some places yeah. he might be a very old god. They named a bunch of cities after him. But then also he might be Thor's like stepson or grandson. Yes, yeah, stepson. But that he's that he's one of the gods. This is very, what's the protection of Ull and that of all the gods? It's the thing he has that's the first one that seizes the flames. In the in the pro set, uh, the titles that of the chapters that have like the names of the different gods, and they just like give us like a brief summary of who they are. For all, it's like, oh, he was the ski god. And yeah, that's and that they say it. he was the one in Udale. I think it was that was in the previous episode, and it maybe yeah. has to do with hunting. That yew tree was used for a bow for hunting, right? So he's a, a skiing hunter. He's like the masculine version of Scalby because that's what she does too. She's a, a skiing hunter as well. Yeah, yeah definitely. So in stanza 44, Odin claims that Yggdrasil is the best tree. Skithblathner is the best ship, which as we know is a phrase given to him by the dwarves. Bifrost is the best bridge. Bragi is the best poet. Habrock is the best hawk. And then Garm is the best dog. 
That just okay. reminds me of the one with the with the dwarf where you know Odin's asking or you know, Thor's asking him, right? He says, you know, dwarf, tell me what are the the things in all the different languages, right? So this would be like, I know the names of the best of all things. I know the best tree. I know the best ship. <laughs> so yeah. I know everything. Yeah. Sansa 45, Odin mentions that help is on the way for those gods who drink at Aegir's Hall. And that's one that's funny too, because in my translation, Odin is asking for protection from all the gods. Rather than saying that help is on the way for them, he's asking, where's the help? He's, he's like talking to the gods while he's going through this. Is anyone going to help me here? I'm sitting here stuck between two fires. Yeah. So he's broken character again. And he's like, yeah, I'm right. going to say it's battle this lore and waste time. By the way, like Valkyrie's gods need help. Yeah, I think so. That's how I like to read it. Also a note there. I know we discussed Aegir in a previous episode. He appears often in the Poetic Edda. He's always mentioned in the Poetic Edda as being the party god kind of thing. Like he yes. has the hall that all the gods party at. Yeah, I'm sorry, good. No, what that says to me is that all the gods are sitting together having a party with Aegir and they're watching through a magic portal and seeing Odin suffering and they're just having a great time watching this. Yeah. Yeah, I really got to get Larrington's translation and read it. You know, it's where I think um, Jackson Crawford likes to make a coherent story. So it just, it'll make sense and you can read it and it makes sense to you. Yeah. It's all, all the parts where it's like, there's three different ways you could read this. Nobody knows what it means. Here's a footnote you can read for a paragraph on what this word might mean because no one can tell what this word means. Yes, yeah, so I enjoy that that approach, but it is more confusing that way. Last thing with Ager in the pro setta, the second portion that contained the Norse stories, Scott Scoppermall, the Norse stories are told in a conversation between Ager and the, the poet god Bragi. Moving on to stanzas 46 through the final stanza 54, this is where Odin reveals himself. And I'm actually going to go ahead and read Jackson Crawford's translation just word for word. The opening to this episode, I did my own little rendition, but it's also the inspiration for the ending of the first season of the show American Gods, where you find out that Mr. Wednesday, who would have thought is actually Odin, and he goes through this minute long uh, tangent about who he is. And he also brings up some of his names that he's known by before he reveals himself. It was a pretty cool scene. It was kind of cheesy, but I would recommend watching on YouTube. No, for, for anyone who doesn't uh, follow us too carefully, that yeah, that, that Wednesday, the word Wednesday comes from Wotan's day. So that's a good thing. Cool. So starting with stanza 46, I have called myself Grim. I have called myself Wanderer, Warrior, and Helmet Wearer, Famed One and Third One, Thunder and Wave, Hellblind and One-Eye, Truth and Swift and True Father, Battle Mary, Battle Sir, Curse Eye and Fire Eye, Evildoer, Spellcaster, Masked and shadow-faced, fool and wise man, long hat and long beard, victory father and war ready, all father, war father, rope rider and hanged god. I have never been known by just one name since I first walked among men. They called me shadow-faced at Garrus Palace, but gelding at Asmund's. They call me driver when I pulled the sleds and mighty at the assembly. Among the gods, I'm called Wish Grantor, Speaker, Justice High, Shield Shaker, Wands Bearer, Greybeard. Wise and Wisdom Grantor were my names at Sakmimir's Hall. When I deceived that old giant and I killed his famous son, I was the killer. You are drunk, Gareth. You have drunk too much. You have lost too much. When you have lost my favor, you have lost the favor of Odin and all of the Einarhar. I've told you much, and you will remember little. Your friends will deceive you. I see the sword of my friend dripping with blood. Now Odin will have weapon killed man. I know your life has ended. Your guardian and spirits are anxious. They see Odin here before you. Approach me if you can. Odin is my name. But before they called me terror and thunder before that and waker and killer and confuser and orator god. Heatmaker, Sleepmaker, both Gelding and Father. I think all these names were used for me alone. And that wraps up the poem portion. There is a slight prose section here at the end where it mentions that uh, King Gareth kind of realizes his mistake. He has his sword on his knees. He stands up, drops his sword, and then he accidentally falls on it. And then his son, Agnar, who originally gave Odin the drink, becomes the king. And that's what it all, it all sets up when he said that uh you know, for this, this one drink that the child gives me, he'll get the greatest gift, you know, anyone has ever received. And it's a long drawn out poem to explain to you what that gift is going to be. And it's, oh, he yeah. must be the king because his dad just fell on a sword and impaled himself. 
And so, David, what are your thoughts? I have a few, but I'd like to hear yours. Yeah. So this was, I mean, should I go through the, the couple like little interesting things that stood out from that, where he's going through his list of all his names? Yeah, let's do it. There's that one line where they're talking about this. There's this name that Sokmimir is a giant that he tricked. And then it says that he slayed Midvitnir's son. And I think in your version, they said that that translates as uh, the Mead robber, right? So we assume we're talking about the Mead of poetry. And I think even more that kind of, they say that that word uh, Midvitnir is a little hard to translate. It's a word that's, it has an extra letter in it. Miodvitnir means Mead robber. So that's, you know, that some of the words are probably spelled differently at different times. The paragraph after that, he's, uh, he's talking about Mead. He's talking about how he's uh, slayed the son of the, the Mead robber. And then he's saying, uh, Garrod, you're too drunk. To me, suggests that word must translate into, into mead. It sounds like a story that's very similar to mead of poetry, but I don't think they're actually talking about mead of poetry. There probably is, you know, it's another uh, fan fiction to write. This yeah, definitely. myth about somebody named Sokmimir that got lost. But no, it's funny. It's funny that his name is Sokmimir because we had that episode of Odin and the Well of Mimir. Um, yeah. the, the story obviously doesn't fit there, so I don't think there's any connection, but it's sort of similar like Utgard Loki and Loki. So maybe like Sok Mimir and Mimir are different and characters. Goes, saw, there, well. there are all these different versions of Thor's kind of battles and journeys. And some of them have a lot of parallels, right? They really seem like in the middle, they're quite similar, right? That some of them have a, who's the one that's my favorite guy? He's the fastest human on, on earth. Thialfi. <laughs> Thialfi, yeah. yeah. yeah the, the, a bunch of the stories have Thialfi, even though you don't think they'd have Thialfi. And then ah, Thialfi shows up, right? Um, yeah. But then I think there probably were more versions of this meat of poetry story of different ways. It, what they're talking about in this, right? Rather than that Odin slept with the giant's daughter to get the mead, maybe he killed the giant's son and then he got the mead, right? That would be, that's what they are kind of saying with him if you read between the lines of this text. And there's that line, he says, uh, Garrod, you drank too much and you've lost the support of myself and the Einahar, right? And the Einarhar are the ones who are, who get to go to Valhalla. Yeah. And I, I noticed that, yeah, that yours had that line where it said, what stands of 52 again? I said, I've told you much, but... I, I've I've told you much, and you'll remember too little. Your yeah. friends will deceive you. I see the sword of my friend dripping with blood. In this translation, it says, "Much I've told you, but little you remember." Right? You don't remember what I taught you those years ago when I was mentoring you as a child, right? Because oh, yeah. Odin was Odin was the one who mentored him, right? So he's like, "You didn't listen to what I taught you about how to be a good king," right? He's kind of, I think that's what he's letting through here, right? And then Odin has this vision of the guy falling on his sword. And he's saying that you're not going to make it into Valhalla because if you fall on your own sword, you don't make it to Valhalla. You have to die in battle against somebody else, right? Yeah. So Odin's having this prophecy. He's seeing what's going to what's going to happen. This, this whole well, first of all, like a lot of this poem reminds me of Havamal when he tells Garrett that he like drank too much from Sansa Fifty One, yeah. and like he also in Sansa Fifty Two he says like I've told you much and you're going to remember too little. Like you don't remember anything. Yeah. So this is where he like that's like Odin's thing, just like knowledge is everything. Yep. And also yep. like this, this comment about him being too drunk, like he clearly says, don't drink too much. Like he, he's, yep. ta- he's saying that like Gareth got too ambitious and he outplayed his hand. I think it's what he's raised. Yeah. It's not just saying literally that he's really drunk right now. Right. But drunk on power, right. Something like that, that he betrays the, the expectation of having hospitality. That's why Frigg kind of set this whole thing up being like, Hey, that guy that you raised and helped make him King, he's not showing hospitality. He's treating people terribly that are guests in his hall. And Odin's like, I bet he'll treat me fine. Let me go prove to you, prove you wrong. Right? And then he proves her exactly right. And he gets tortured himself. And then just one other, I don't know, he's like a side, side tangent, but um, I think we were talking about that word earlier, right? Thund, or maybe not, that they call it Odin Thund and whether that means, but as I looked up where that, that, you know, um, they talk about whether, does that really translate as thunder or it's similar, similar to a word thunder, which means one who has been hung. It's like the past tense of, and that we know Odin is the one who's been hung right? He, he's hung, for, hangs from the tree, right? That, that might be what Thund means his name rather than actually being related to thunder. In Sansa 48, he mentions that one of his names is like the hanged God. Yeah. And then like, I, I know I made a note here from uh, the saga of the Icelanders and Eagle saga. There's like a poem that he conveys verbally. Cause he's like, he's also like a very skilled at poetry and written and written words. He mentions Odin as being the thunder God. But I wonder if in the old Norse version of that, is it the same word then something for us to go find out? <laughs> It's all, it's all just it's all just written that way to to fuck with us. I, I would yeah, imagine exactly. No, so Sean, any other thoughts as we're kind of describing this? Yeah, like 
what is it that clearly that um, Garroth didn't understand about how to be king, right? And then Odin is sort of revealing all this to him and explaining to him why he had to die before he's actually quite realized that he's going to die. So, so before we get there, I did want to make one quick note that uh, when we discussed the uh, the creation myth, and I think I was like going through Gilfoganine in like our one of our first episodes, I mentioned Scott Scott earlier is Braggy and Aegir. The first part is this character, King Gilfi, who goes by the name Gangleri, listening to Norse mythology stories from High, Justice High, and Third. And I mentioned that I believe that one of them is supposed to be Odin or all three of them are supposed to be like an aspect of Odin. In this, in this poem, he mentions that his name was just as high, but also third one. So I think that points to the fact that he was probably like a mix of all three of them. And in my translation, it it calls him high, just as high and third. Yeah. Oh, perfect. That, you know, just depends how you want to translate that word. But when it's the same word that shows up in that other story, right, then I think that's why you'd want to carry it over. It's why it's good to actually learn some of the old Norse words, right? Because sometimes they're like, this word doesn't translate well. You just got to learn this hard to pronounce old Norse word. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it one day. I'm just got to take those first steps and then I'm going to like magically know it all, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, David, your question was about the uh, motivations by Gareth or Odin. And what, yeah, the, with this idea that as, as Odin's kind of revealing this to, to Gareth, like, you messed up. I, t- I was trying to teach you how to be a good king and you didn't figure it out. So now I'm going to remind you of all of that as you're about to die. Right. Yeah. yeah. What, so, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think, like, if you take a step back and look at this story, there's similarities between Odin and trying to teach Thor a lesson. He's yeah. trying to teach his foster son, Gareth. He, he tried to like raise his foster son, Gareth, up. He thought very highly of him. And I think Odin realized that he made a mistake too. And that just goes to the fact that like we see Thor fail all the time. We've seen Odin have to like sacrifice parts of himself. But he also in Havamal talks about his mistakes in life. You know, just like his failure to seduce uh, Billing's daughter or something like that. Or maybe he's given his life advice to Lad Fafnir in Havamal because he knows that he has made mistakes and he grew from them. And I think this whole poem can also serve to not only a similarity to him teaching Thor a lesson, but also like part of his growth. He like fostered this kid with subconsciously a motivation to like screw over his wife and say like, I beat you, Frigg, my foster son is better. But he also in doing so trains Gareth to be very greedy and ambitious. And he he taught him this deception, right? That he has to trick his brother and or curse his brother, however you want to look at it, right? And send him back out to sea. And then it's like, are you, yeah, are you able to do that? Do you get to cheat at the game and things still go well? Or is that why things spiraled out of control and he became a bad king? Yeah. And so like, he probably didn't, like Gareth probably did not have any friends. And like Odin always says, keep your friends close. Like maybe he had like yeah. followers in like a court because he's a king, but. No, he, he didn't treat to... people very well. Right. So how many friends does that win you? Yeah. So I'd say Gareth did not follow any of the laws or the encouragements of Havamal in yeah. Odin who actually tells us everything we know in Havamal probably just did a bad job of training Gareth or like raising Gareth. Right. And then that was the, the interpretation I gave you when we, we attempted to record last week was this idea of fate, right? That what was fated originally, right, is for the oldest son to become king, right? So the brothers, they get lost on their boat and then they come back to find that their parents have died. And usually the eldest son would become king, right? But Odin is fighting against fate and tells him to push your brother back out, curse him, send him where the, uh, where the trolls live. And then you get to be king as trying to change fate. So what was your thought, Sean, is on that idea of fate? Yeah. Well, so first of all, that makes sense what you're saying, just because I know I didn't mention it this in part two of this episode, but Gareth's brother that he deceived and like kind of exiled, his name was Agnar. He was the older one. He was fated to be king, but he wasn't there. So Gareth became king. And then Gareth named his first son Agnar. And at the end of the story, we have an Agnar being a king anyway. And I know like a name could be meaningless, but I think at the end of this poem, that's the way the prophecy would work, right? The prophecy says Agnar will be king. And then Odin says, well, we'll see about that. And then still. You could say like, it's it it, like the fate didn't actually happen because a different Agnar became king, but like they have the same name. And Odin also tells us that the names do mean something. He talked about it for like eight stanzas. Yeah. Right. So, and that's, uh, yeah. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a part three for this, my little solo episode I just recorded on talking more about fate, but it is that idea and, and fate and free will, right? Because uh, you were saying, right, was it was it always supposed to be, you know, would the prophecy have said that the older brother Agnar should have been king or was fate always going to be that Odin was going to do this and the younger child Agnar would become king, right? That's 
did Odin actually even have free will when he tells uh, Gareth to do this deception, right? That's mm-hmm. how do you answer that question? That's a messy question. So I'm going to do that for another, another episode <laughs> to spend more time on that. I, we can get into it with fate, but uh, it's yeah. when it comes to fate in Norse mythology, like Odin understands that everyone's going to die anyway. Like Gareth dies. Yeah. Gareth's brother Agnar probably died because he was in a cave with the troll woman. And it's like Agnar is like the new king right now. But, you know, at some point he's going to he's going to meet his fate. In the meantime, he's going to have free will. And it's like yeah. Odin showed that he can influence things from by free will, by getting involved in the affairs of mortals, which I think is probably something we see in every area. Like we see in myth stories, like all across the world. Right. But I'm wondering, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a connection here, but I think like if Agnar becomes King, like we know he's going to be fated to do something, but in the meantime, we all have the free will to do what we want within the scopes that fate gives us. If that makes sense. That's by the way, this is my, my short version of the, of the part three that, you know, listen to part three, if you want to hear more that subjectively we do have free will, right? When Odin thinks about it, he thinks he has free will. Whenever we make that choice, right? You know, are you going to fight and then get to Valhalla? That's a choice you make. But then when we look at it from the outside, when we're not inside ourselves, it's this idea of that everything is predetermined by fate, right? Because the thing that happens now is based on the thing that happened earlier, right? And the thing that happened before that is why this thing, you know, so all the things that influence you to make that choice, you think you're making a choice, but then it goes to, you know, within yourself, you, you are, right? And it could go either way. But after the fact, when we look at it, you know, looking with 2020 hindsight, it's, it looks like how else could you have made a different choice, right? What, how would Odin have done anything different? That's what Odin always does, right? Yeah. And not to bring in like a dark age history, because I know I did that in the short uh, from last episode. But if you look in, if you look at like history, like of dark age England, you see that the house of Wessex kind of like eventually became the Kings of England. And you could look at it. If you, if you take like the Kings of Wessex 200 years beforehand, were they there actually trying to form the kingdom of England or were they just trying to be ambitious and say, I want to take a little bit more land here. I want to take a little bit more land here. But after 200 years of different like kings and different generations, they do take over the King of England. So it's easier for us to say, oh, well, of course they did. And I know that's like a little bit different from what you're saying here. No, but that's like, ideal, after, hindsight, when, you, yeah. once, when you look at it within hindsight, right? Was it fated? That's what was always going to happen, right? But how many little decisions did they have to make that seemed like free will or, or were free will to get there, right? Yeah, like yeah. very difficult decisions to make. And so that's kind of my thought is that, you know, Odin, that there is fate right, in the, within the myth, that there is fate. But then Odin tries to have his free will. He tries to change things away from fate. But because he doesn't really understand what fate really means, it still comes back. Mm-hmm. The fate still happens the way it was always going to happen, basically. But maybe a little different, right? Rather than first Agnar, it's the second Agnar. Yeah, that's a complicated way to look at it. Yeah. It's cool to think about, for sure. All right, Sean, is that, is that good for this week? Yeah, I think so. I was going to ask you a, like, a question that I didn't put in the notes. Yeah. When Odin finally gets back home to Asgard, what is the first thing that Frigg says to him? Is it a joke or you just asking me what I think? <laughs> you can, we can add this, but like, I'm just like wondering, like, if for, to make it funny, yeah. I was thinking it'd be a knock knock joke, yeah. Okay, never mind. We don't have to do this. No, let me think. I'll think about it and we'll cut it. So it sounds like I had something really smart to say. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for Pretty sure I told you so as much. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Have a good night. Bye.